When people in the Midlands want to talk, they talk to Will Faulkner. Good morning. As the form today, on the agenda, where are the worst potholes in the Midlands? This is becoming an annual survey and I need you to give me the answer. The leash woman who fraudulently claimed her dead father's pension and in doing so triggered a search for Ireland's oldest man. And the Incredibilities, a group you shall learn about in around half an hour. What exactly are the Incredibilities? More very, very soon. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text, you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Let's take a look at the front pages today. Daniel Whiffen on the front of the Irish Times, striking gold in Doha, the first ever World Championship swimming medal for Ireland. Amazing physique on the man, as often happens with swimmers. The main story... Ireland and Spain to call for European Union review on trade with Israel, trying to make Israel more isolated on the international stage. Then, moving on to the Irish Examiner, their top story, one that's frankly hard to process and hard to absorb. Matthew, so bright beyond his years, the words of the father who is grieving the loss of little Matthew Healy and locals lined the footpaths on the main street of Watergrass Hill in County Cork yesterday to pay their respects to the six-year-old. And his heartbroken father recalled a wonderful little boy who had striking blue eyes, blonde curly hair, a gorgeous smile, a most infectious laugh. He was pure joy. And... He couldn't count the number of times he was stopped on the street by complete strangers commenting on how beautiful he was. And he was also full of divilment and crack from the word go. He was his buddy. Very sad story. And obviously matter before the courts, so comments are limited in that respect. But our thoughts very much with all who are grieving the loss of Matthew. That's the front of the Irish Examiner this morning. Irish Independent, RTE now has to foot tax bill for €450,000 golden handshake. Which is partly true. The reality is you and I have to foot the tax bill for the €450,000 golden handshake. There was yet another appearance before the Oireachtas Media Committee by RTE executives trying to explain how the former... Chief Financial Officer Breda O'Keefe left with an exit package of €450,000. We rattle these numbers about and they become meaningless after a while, but it's an incredible lump of money. And apparently she submitted the business case as to how her departure would lead to savings. And guess what? Those savings did not materialise. Irish Daily Mail, hand back your €450,000 golden handshake. The call coming from Brian Stanley, the Sinn Féin TD for Leash Offaly, the chairman of the Public Accounts Committee. 
It's more a case of moral duty rather than legal duty that she would have to hand it back. But he is trying to pour on the embarrassment all the same. More embarrassing headlines for RTE on the Red Tops today. Irish Daily Mail, no show the musical. Former RTE execs may be forced to attend, it says. And time to face the musical is the headline on the Irish Daily Star. All right, that's a selection of the front pages. What's not on the front pages, news uh, that has come to us in the last few hours. One person has died. 22 others are injured, including eight children after a shooting at the victory parade for the Kansas City Chiefs, the Super Bowl winners. And the person who has died apparently is a radio DJ identified by her local station, KKFI, as Lisa Lopez. So the US President Joe Biden, among those who are expressing their shock and their horror and their grievances. And he says, today's events should move us, not shock us and shame us into action. What are we waiting for when it comes to gun control measures? Gun control, always an issue in US elections. Then average speed cameras. If you go to the UK, even if you travel to Northern Ireland, you will come across average speed cameras where they don't just measure how fast you're travelling at one point in time, but they capture it at various intervals. And the idea is, and let's face it, we all do this, if you are going to slow down just for one speed camera and then speed up later, once you're past it, you will be caught because the next one will say, hang on, that car should not have arrived here so quickly. And we already have one very narrow strip of these cameras, and it's on the M7 near Bird Hill in County Tipperary. But yesterday, the Road Safety Authority was before the Oireachtas Transport Committee, confirming that it and the Gorthy and Transport Infrastructure Ireland, used to be called the National Roads Authority, all three agencies are working to introduce these cameras more widely. So, keep an eye. Update on asylum seekers in the Irish Times today. It says more than 600 applications were refused in the first month of this year. So, when you compare with January of 2023, that's quite an increase, claims the newspaper. Um... 64% of applicants, first-time international protection applicants assessed in January, were refused permission to stay. 26% were granted refugee status. Doesn't say actually what happens to the balance. But there were 953 applications in total assessed in January, up from 502 in January of last year. Anyway... The full breakdown is in the paper in the Irish Times. The Independent asks, why is Gen Z obsessed with anti-ageing injections? Now, when you look at Hollywood stars, it tends to be the older generation who have the immovable faces, not the youngest. And Gen Z, oh, what are the years... I think 12 to 27 years of age, if you tick that box, you're Gen Z. Then the older ones are millennials and 
what is it, Generation X and then Boomers? Anyway, you know the sequence. So the paper suggests that the Kylie Jenner effect is at play here. She's 26 and her face has changed over the years. There's no denying it. And she has made popular many of these injections and anti-aging creams. And the creams probably, you know, you can argue the merits of them. But the injections, yeah, they, they make a difference. Not always a good difference. And the article asks, why is it such an obsession of the younger generation? And I think that's terribly unfair. Because it's technology that's recent. And if... Baby boomers, once upon a time, had the money, number one, which, you know, there's generally more money washing around now than was the case 30, 40, 50 years ago. They had the means and access to this sort of technology. We'd have all probably done it. Am I wrong? Maybe I am. The Central Statistics Office asks, what do condoms, energy drinks and avocados all have in common? Well, they've all been added to the list of things used to calculate the inflation rate here in Ireland. And the household budget survey is updated every couple of years. So the last time was in 2015. And at that stage, television streaming was added. Craft beer was added. And anyway, they plan to update it in 21. But hey, COVID got in the way. So now... They have added condoms and energy drinks and avocados. Um, Deodorant is still in there. That came on the list in 1982. Various fast and frozen meals. Once upon a time, Walkmans were there. Walkmans have been taken out. Printing. MP3 players. uh, Widescreen TVs are still in there. E-cigarettes. So it's a fascinating list to see what makes up the household budget survey. But there are 51,000 different prices measured by the CSO to, to calculate whether inflation is going up or down. Full details in the Irish Examiner. Uh, final story for now. Seems we're going back to the moon, but not necessarily NASA or indeed the European Space Agency or any public body A private mission has been launched in the last 24 hours and it's called the Nova Sea Odysseus and it has been built by a company in Texas called Intuitive Machines and they are going to the moon very much for their private commercial reasons. Now, they're not sending a man or indeed a woman. This is for other purposes which are explained in the journal.ie today and we hope to hear from the Midlands Astronomy Club to get the full explanation a little bit later. So, watch that space. Bit of a miserable day in store weather-wise. Lots of scattered showers about this morning. But it's mild. It's generally going to be 10 to 14 degrees this afternoon. And by evening it'll dry out a bit. Heading into tomorrow, cloudy to begin and a few scattered showers, but then dry through the morning and some sunny spells into the afternoon. So hopefully the worst of the stormy, cold, wintry weather is behind us at this stage. I hope I haven't jinxed it now. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Keep following the stories at midlands103.com. Midlands 103.
Tell to come today. Brian Stanley, the chairman of the Public Accounts Committee, and Lee Shoffley, Sinn Féin TD, wants the €450,000 RTE payoff to be returned by its former chief financial officer. But one thing for politicians to call for it, is there any obligation on that money to be given back? It is, after all, funded by you and me and every other licence fee payer and indeed bailed out by the taxpayer at large. So is there just political noise being made or could there be a case here? More on that in half an hour's time. We end up doing this every single year. Unfortunately, it's the nature of perhaps where in the country we are. Because many roads, especially in County Offaly, are built across bogs. And parts of Westmeath and parts of Leash as well. And because of that, there can be subsidence. And every winter, regardless of which county you're in, there will be the freeze-thaw action where water expands, opens up cracks, cracks turn into potholes, and lo and behold, you end up with craters eventually. And county councils should be out fairly promptly, you would think, to fill those in so that damage is not caused to your car. After all, that's why you pay your road tax. Well, let's meet Vinnie Grennan in road in County Offaly. Vinnie, how are you? Well, good morning, how are you? Not for the first time. You've highlighted some problems in your area. Tell us more. No, it's, it seems to be an ongoing problem, Will. Um, and like we have a number of people in the community of road and surrounding areas have contacted um, Oxley County Council and local councillors co- uh, complaining about the state of the roads. And I shared a video there recently on social media. Like It was absolute, absolutely horrendous. Um, Paint a picture with words for us, for anybody who didn't get to see that video. It's it's actually, it's undescribable. You actually have to see the video because it's a 20-yard 20, 20 section, about eight yards wide, and there's a foot and a half each side. That's all, and you're dodging between the, the potholes. You cannot, like if, God forbid anyone on a motorbike, or anyone hit it hard, I dread to think of the consequences. And especially on a dark road, on a dark night, mm. it's it's just horrendous. It's just horrendous. Has it always been this way, winter in and winter out? Or is it worse now? No, I, I personally I think it's got worse in the last number of years. Um, now I know in the last, we've had increased volume of traffic and um, with the wind turbines and being built in the area with increased lorries and that, whether that has contributed, I'm not blaming them, um, but I just wonder, is that part of what's contributed to it? Because um, the edge of the roads, like we've no white lines in a lot of places as well, but the edge of the road around some of road and that area, that's all I can speak for, because mm. that's the road I'm on. Um, it's, it's horrendous, even coming in this morning, coming into work, I was just looking at it. It's dreadful. And there are a couple of sections where you actually, if there's no oncoming traffic, you can travel. You're better off travelling with a wheel each side of the, white, of the middle of the road. That you know, because the whole middle of the road is ripped up in places as well. It's much safer to just travel. But as I say, if someone comes down the corner and you're drunk, say you're in the fo- you're at fault. 
Well, there are many people who are in the area saying there's hardly a decent road in the village that no matter which direction you travel, there's a problem of potholes that have opened up and haven't been filled. And that's coming as a theme (coughs) elsewhere in the county as well, that, okay, nature takes its course, these potholes will emerge, but what's frustrating is how long they seem to be left there before action is taken. Yeah, that's correct. And you know, no disrespect to the council worker that comes out on the back of a, with a lorry and a booklet, chippings and a bit of tar. You'd be better off going to the beach and building sandcastles because they'd last longer. You know, as soon as they put them in, they're cut out within a couple of days. And we're back lobbying the local council to come back out and fill them. But like, <clears throat> I just wonder who is actually in charge of... Like, as you, we all drive cars, we have to have a car roadworthy and do our NCT tests. If, including myself, I've burst the tyre on these roads, but I don't get reimbursed for it. But yet there seems to be no accountability. And when you contact the council, you just get like a, only lately we got a generic response, like a generic response from a PA. Mm. And we've asked, um, count uh, Chairman, I think Tom Shannon is the man's name to come out and talk to us. But as of yet, we've had no joy. I know councils will often talk about the doctrine of non-feasance, which is a very strange sounding term. But what it means is that if they take no action, if they fail to fill in a pothole, they're not liable. Whereas malfeasance in legal terms is if a pothole, let's say, is filled in, but badly, or remember you highlighted recently the bridge on the road to Rotford Bridge where there was this step in effect and if somebody drove over that, well, that's bad workmanship. That's a case of where they're liable. So they often preach that with potholes that aren't filled in, sorry, nothing to do with us, Uh, that's nature, and it's only if they do a bad job subsequently filling it in that they become liable. Yeah, but, you know, that's, but then it's, it's back to the, who, who actually is the, taking care of these roads. If, if, if I don't pay my road tax and I'm stopped at a checkpoint, I can't say, well, the road, I'm not paying because of the roads. I'll end up getting penalty points and a fine. But there's, you know, no one seems to be held responsible for this. Well, naturally, you're asking, where's the value for money? There is going to be the small matter of local elections in a few months' time. What do your candidates have to say about this? It's, I, I don't, I don't, I would like to be the candidates coming round to the doors, um, because I know people are very, very annoyed um, and frustrated, and. In, and like we've contacted local councillors and the upcoming councillors that are coming, putting their name on the ballot in the coming months, and but we're still hearing no response. It's a very slow, very very slow response to a serious ongoing problem. But I think we're going to be in competition with you in Clonbalogue, Vinnie, uh, because many yeah, of my neighbours no, are saying, "Hang on, Will, the Clon Crane Road out of the village." 
And you should see it at the moment just before the bridge. It's like a cluster bomb from World War Two landed. Potholes everywhere. Uh, but not just that part of the Midlands. There are people from Kinnity suggesting the roads in their area are in sore need of attention as well. But what happens every year when we discuss this, there's less complaint in Leash and less complaint in Westmeath. And maybe that's because there are fewer roads built across bogs. That's certainly possible. Maybe the councils do a better job. What's your take? Uh, no spot. Um, look, I don't know. The, the, yes, I agree with your caller in there about the roads in Cumbelog and all. Um, I travelled that road recently and it was yeah, it's quite quite disturbing to see the how bad it is. Um but the bog across the there's a gravel base underneath all the bog. So mm. if we why not dig down to the gravel base like you have a solid instead of and I know it comes to it will come down to cost. But like we <clears throat> we have a National Roads Authority, we, we give away our toll bridges with substantial money that could be going back into the whole, all our national roads. Um, but surely some of our local TDs or councillors could contact, um, make a bid for more serious funding and get these roads um, upgraded and strengthened with whatever is required to bring them up to a, a better standard yeah. for a more longer period of time. Look, I, I think there's a combination of local representation required. So certainly on the national level, TDs to bang the desk and try and get more central money for the councils and then equally for the councillors, for those candidates who are going to be knocking on doors in the next few weeks and months to make sure that money is distributed to the parts of their county where it's needed most. And there are many who take issue with the claim that, well, Offaly has a lot of roads built on bog. That may affect the verges. It may cause that kind of uneven surface. But potholes will form on roads no matter what they're built on. It's that freeze-thaw action. So it's no excuse for not coming out to fill them in, seems to be the consensus. We're getting a lot of comments on it, Vinny, and thank you for kicking off the conversation. And certainly you've shown a spotlight in your part of the county. So take care and keep up the good work. Thanks a million for taking the call, Will. Appreciate it. And if you want to look Vinny Grennan up online, you'll see the pictures that he has shared. Not for the first time from road in County Offaly, but there may be other parts of the Midlands too. As one listener suggests, Ballinagar to Cap'n Kerr. Sinead, yes, Sinead, you are absolutely right. It is painfully bad. And again, you tend to come on these potholes, usually on a bend or after a dip, and it's unexpected, and the natural instinct is to swerve to avoid it. And sooner or later, that will lead to a crash. No denying it. Will. Hello, Duncan in Shinron. How are you? He says, will we see a call from Sinn Féin asking for a scrapping or at least an amnesty to car owners who refuse to pay their road tax because of poor conditions. After all, they did it for the television licence. 
And another suggestion is put in a freedom of information request to your local council to see if there has been any movement on these issues. So when was the road last surfaced? Get the detail of it. And that might help build a case. Excellent, excellent points made here on text 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. Love the Midlands? Love Midlands today. Midlands 103. The Incredibilities is a group set up in County Leash to celebrate and support local children in Rathdowney and Errol who have autism. And they've done fantastic work in the last couple of months. However, they have a big frustration, as many parents of children with autism can identify with. And I'll tell you what that is. At around 20 past 10. First, though, Revolut hopes to develop a super app here in Ireland as part of its ongoing plan to expand. And we seem to be good guinea pigs for Revolut the online bank, which is really challenging the institutional lenders here in this country. Adrian Weckler has been talking to them about their future plans and he's technology editor with the Irish Independent. Adrian, good morning. So, what is a super app? It's an app where you would go to do pretty much anything in your daily life. So, we don't kind, we don't really have... Um, a version yet. Elon Musk says he wants to make X into super app. It's not that yet. But the idea is that for Revolut, for example, instead of just, you know, using it to transfer cash to your friends or to split a bill or to pay for something, um, you might also use it maybe for, you know, to message your friends, to use it as, you know, like for voice calls, maybe you might use it to, to pay for other things. So in, in over the last year, we've seen uh, plans. It's going to start uh, launching mortgage plans and things like that. It basically one of your three or four main apps mm. that you use every day. We've seen this concept before. It's like an ecosystem. Apple have done it very, very well. Music, phone, streaming, so many different things combined. Mm. App Store. So... Revolut will obviously face challenges and resistance. The pillar banks aren't going to like this, for instance. So uh, what what exactly is their plan to phase it in? Well, they keep announcing more and more new products and and services. So, for example, um, they launched a thing called Revolut Pay. Now, a lot of people, a lot of listeners will know things like Apple Pay or Google Pay which means you can just whip your phone out when you're paying for You go into the shop and you're paying for something. Um, instead of handing over a fiver for your coffee, you might just whip your phone out, double press it, and you know you tap your phone against the thing. That's Apple Pay or Google Pay. And Revolut now have launched their own uh, one, Revolut Pay. Um, so if you try to book a flight with Aer Lingus, for example, you'll see that there's a Revolut Pay button there. And what that means is that instead of having to put in your credit card details, like type it all out and all that sort of stuff, you can just uh, click on the Revolut Pay um, uh, button and uh, it's much, much quicker to do that. So um, the bank's um, attitude towards this here has been one of, they don't really like it, but they're not doing much against it. When I interviewed the CEO and founder of Revolut two years ago, he said that Ireland is one of, 
is by far one of Revolut's most successful countries and territories. And the reason specifically is because the banks here do technology so badly. So, mm. you know, and if you try to use their, their, their phone apps or if you try and correct a problem with a bank, they're still halfway in between thinking, oh, you should go into a branch for that or, oh, sorry, we closed the branch. You can go onto our website. Oh, there's no way you can do it on our website. You have to call this number. Oh, when you call the number, it tells you to go back to the website, all that sort of stuff. Revolut says that it knows what it is. It's an online bank first. It's a mobile app bank first. So that's so the it, it, its strength is it ha, it knows what it's doing, or at least it thinks it knows what it's doing. And uh, that's why it thinks it has an edge over traditional banks. Now, traditional banks do have some advantages, in fairness, uh, lest this be too one-sided. But that's the way Revolut is thinking. Perhaps the greater resistance will come from some of their tech rivals then. Apple, as you've mentioned, mm-hmm. has first mover advantage. So mm-hmm. if you're already yep. accustomed to Apple Pay, why would you change? Well, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good point. And the, what we see is people tend to be quite conservative when they're picking ways of paying for things. And first mover advantage is huge. If you are with, um, like if you use, for example, Revolut to, uh, you know, send, um, like we have a, ver- Revolut, I was talking to Revolut exe- exe- executive the other day, and he was saying Ireland is the only country in the world where we use Revolut as a verb. So mm. <laughs> he said, if you revolute somebody, with, with what we say here, everybody kind of knows what that means. But if you do that here, you may not switch to another type of money transfer service because other people now have Revolut as well. It's two and a half million of us have it here. In fact, there's more people who use Revolut than for, for that sort of thing than use Apple Pay or Google Pay. People use Apple Pay for to pay for things in a shop. I use Apple Pay to pay for things in a shop, but I'll still use Revolut, you know, to transfer money to, say, my wife for mm-hmm. something, uh, for, 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 you know, for a reason. So their ambitions obviously will require a greater degree of trust than perhaps people have had up until now. As you've said, we've been conservative and many have used mm-hmm. Revolut as an addition to their main bank account. They might get yeah. their wages put in. They'll just transfer amounts from time yeah. to time. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Revolut sees a big opportunity in business yeah. and Business will obviously be dealing with far larger volumes. So how are they going to win that trust? They're starting off with things like small coffee vans. Like during the pandemic, in every corner of Ireland, you saw these coffee vans started to spring up because that's the only place people could really go out and mm. socialise was standing you know, two metres apart at a coffee van. So that whole part of the economy um, started taking payments with these little mobile terminals. You, you'd see, you'd see them. You, you know, you tap your phone or your card against the little white ones. The companies like Square and, and others, and that whole economy is much more used to dealing uh, to with companies like Revolut and Square for their banking for that purpose. They're much more used to dealing with that sort of bank now. As they start to get bigger. And as the people who used, who were in charge of those coffee vans um, start to move into other businesses, that sort of confidence in those systems travels with them. So what Revolut now are saying is that, look, we have an awful lot of those small businesses kind of wrapped up and that's no problem. And the issue is here for us to get into 
bigger businesses and also to persuade people like you and me to have maybe their wages paid into the Revolut account. And that would be, that's a big step to do that. Um, but people do, people do it um, because the Revolut basically has a, a banking license. It has a, an IBAN number. You can, on paper, you can actually do your banking uh, through Revolut. Uh, and that's why they're, they're doing things like uh, introducing uh, mortgages, mm. for example. So um, they're hoping so, convenience wins the day, that they will be the one-stop shop for everything. Yeah, and kind of once they have you, they have you. Because, like, I'm with a traditional bank, and I've been with a traditional bank all my life, and I'm not very happy with them. But to be honest, all my banking is with them, all my direct debits, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, my mortgage, all the rest of it. And it just seems like too much hassle to change. So once you're with them, you're with them. So if they can get you, if Revolut can get you, then you'll probably stay with them unless they screw up really badly. Mm. Fascinating vision. You've set it out in the Irish Independent today. Adrian Weckler, thank you very much. Love the Midlands. Midlands 103. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda this morning, the latest items added to the Household Budget Survey, the way we measure inflation in this country. And over the years, condoms, energy drinks, avocados, deodorant, fast food, all manner of things have been captured. And believe it or not, there are more than 51,000 prices measured. The Incredibilities Group in County Leash trying to help parents and children with autism, but they're coming up against some Significant frustrations, and they'll share them with you in around half an hour's time. And the future of community games in one Midlands village. Every now and again, you need to give the local effort a shot in the arm. So that's what's coming up at 10 to 11. Plus headaches and heartaches in the next hour. Anyway, I'll tell you more about that very soon. When you call 0818 300 103 is my number. You can text you can WhatsApp 083 30 10 103, powered by Lamb Brothers Toyota in Tullamore. And very much the front pages of the newspapers sum up the RTE saga. Irish Daily Star, time to face the musical, pointing to the former executives at RTE who have yet to answer questions about a growing list of controversies. No show the musical, it says on the Irish Daily Mirror. But the big talking point today is Breda O'Keefe, the former chief financial officer. Hand back your €450,000 golden handshake. A call on the front of the Irish Daily Mail from Brian Stanley, the chairman of the Public Accounts Committee and indeed Sinn Féin TD in Leishoffoli. And related to that main story on the Irish Independent, RTE now has to foot tax bill for €450,000 golden handshake. More accurately, you and I, anybody who has paid their licence fee, or indeed anybody whose taxes have been used to bail out the organisation, will have to ultimately carry the cost of this. So, how do we know about the size of the settlement to Miss O'Keefe? Well, it was all revealed before the Oireachtas Media Committee yesterday, of which... Longford Senator Michal Carragy is a member. Michal, good morning. Good morning, Will, and good morning to all your listeners. So what did you learn about the process by which Breda O'Keefe, 
the then chief financial officer in the organisation walked away with so much money? To me, um, in my view, there seemed to be a, like a sweetheart deal between Breda O'Keefe and the former DG, uh, Dee Forbes. Um, proper procedures were not in place in adherence with that exit package. Um, the terms and conditions of that exit package were not adhered to. Uh, the head of HR, Emer Cusick, in my opinion, did not fulfil her duties in her role. She said yesterday that she was going under the instructions of the DG, but she was in a position of authority in her role as head of HR. And if she had concerns, which she said she had concerns, she should have brought them to the full board rather than not saying anything and actually signing off on a letter stating that this package hadn't been approved by the entire board where it hadn't even gone to the board at all and it was just an agreement between uh, former CFO Breedo O'Keefe and uh, the DG. Yeah, in so, defending herself, the director of HR, Miss Cusack, said she ultimately didn't question the approval process because it was approved by the ultimate decision maker in the organisation that being D Forbes, and on that basis, she took the instruction in good faith. In other words, she did what her boss told her to do. She might have done what her boss told her, but she didn't do what the process was, which was set out in the voluntary exit package, which was put in place by the organisation. There was terms and conditions to that. To that, there was meant to be cost savings. The cost savings that were supposed to be in place for a package like that were never questioned, were never looked at. Proper procedures weren't adhered to. And as I say, she signed a letter stating that it was approved by the board when it hadn't gone to the board. So basically, she knew that this was totally wrong. Yes, she allowed it to happen. And as I say, signed off on a letter stating that this was approved by the board, but never even seen it. Um, can I, think I, can I just loop back around to that business case, which, as I understand it, was prepared by Breda O'Keefe herself to argue that if she left, there would be cost savings uh, of about €200,000. I'm not sure, was that an annual amount or a total amount uh, based on a named individual succeeding her? But ultimately, those savings didn't materialise. How should her business case have been tested? That was a, a job for the head of HR that was looking at the, the, the case that was being forward, forward for it. She didn't, because she didn't question where the cost savings were. And how can you say there's going to be savings that a, a, another named person is going to get my job actually before the person actually leaves the organisation? You know, that, <laughs> those things don't work that way. The reality was, there was a case put forward which was false, incorrect. The package was signed off on um, to get that lump sum, of, as a, which we know now from yesterday's meeting, 450000 which was made up of infactual information. So that amount of money should never have been signed off on and should never have been paid over to be the O'Keefe because the reality is the savings weren't made and those savings are meant to be for the organisation, which is ultimately savings for the taxpayer and the licensee there. Now, Ms Cusack, who remains on the executive board, uh, and she still has HR responsibilities. She was defended by the new Director General, Kevin Backhurst, and ultimately he pointed out that she wasn't that long with the organisation when the instruction was given to her. Anyway, 
he has her back, should she remain in position? And I think I said it on the record yesterday. You know, I said her, I felt her question, her position was um, untenable. I think she was, you know, key to this had been allowed to happen. You know, she didn't fulfil her role and her duty as head of HR. And if she was doing her job, she would have flagged this with the board and it never would have would have went ahead. I was quite surprised, I'll be honest, yesterday at how strongly um, she was defended by the current um, DG. Um, but the facts are the facts there. This was an illegal sweetheart deal that was put in place um, to pay off um, a former CFO and now we have the situation where there's a tax liability um, on the organisation and ultimately on the taxpayer um, because of the way uh, this was handled. And it is not acceptable. And you know, if we want to you know, get confidence of you know, the general public back in RT as, a, as, as an organisation, we need to clean up these issues that happen. And we, in, in my view, I think there needs to be new personnel in the senior role. Um, or, or if we don't do that, we're not going to get the confidence of the general public again. Well, there already have been some faces changed, exited, call it what you will. Do we know if they've received payoffs similar to Breda O'Keefe? Well, we were told yesterday uh, some didn't, but I think there was um, an indication that Rory Coveney uh, received, you know, there was no details because of legal issues, I suppose, I think that Mr. Backhurst said with regard to putting stuff out in public, but he was fairly confident that he was able to put out the figure 450 when it was put them by Deputy Alan Dillon. But all these in facts, relation to Breed you know, O'Keefe rather than Mr. Coley? Yeah, in relation to, to, to Breed O'Keefe. Now, but they did say there was nothing of the, 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 you know, the figure of, of 450,000, but all that information needs to be brought um, back to us as a, a media committee and similarly the facts on the cost on the toy show um, the musical that two of the executive producers that brought that project to the board that was never pro- properly audited and risked by uh, that committee they actually received payment uh, for a number of years on that project and subsequent to that project failing were actually promoted uh, to other jobs despite uh, the project losing over 2.2 million euros so you know there's too many issues, there's too many mistakes, and unfortunately, these mistakes that have been made um, are losing money to the organisation, and it's the taxpayer that is taking up the slack, both in them losses and in the reduction in the people paying the television uh, licence fee. So, yeah, well, I, I, I I've seen a figure of €21 million euro mentioned in lost licence fee sales by the end of 2023, and presumably that figure is not getting any smaller. Uh, Mr. Backhurst told your committee that it would have been tone deaf to run an advertising campaign demanding that people would pay the licence given the scandals unfolding. Uh, he may have a point on that. Can I ask about the legal environment in which all of these matters are being discussed? The Director General at one point said yesterday that he had received a letter from a solicitor acting on behalf of Breda O'Keefe, the former Chief Financial Officer, instructing him to say certain things at the hearing. Yeah, um, quite astounding to hear that, and I have to compliment 
Mr. Backhurst for his reply, uh, which was that if she had anything to say, she needed to say it at the meeting in front of the members of the Rockets. And that's the place where everybody should make their comments. And we might actually get to the bottom of a lot of the issues if all the parties involved in this would come before the Oireachtas Media Committee and, you know, have their say. Like, you know, in particular, you know, we've had D Forbes, who's the DG, um, who has a lot of the answers to a lot of the questions we have. And it seems to me a lot of the blame, whether it's correctly or incorrectly, is being thrown at her due to the fact that she's not there to counteract it with different information. Um, you know, we've had even yesterday, I I, I spoke to um, Adrian Inch, who was a interim DG before Kevin Barkhurst came in, and we were, you know, talking about the whole issue of Toy Story, the musical. And back in January 23, at a future media um, discussion, I highlighted this as an issue and a concern, and I queried the cost, queried why, why this has been put in place, this musical, it taxpayers' money being used going against various pantomimes and shows over the Christmas period, which were, you know, held throughout the country. And he didn't even reply. He didn't even give an answer. He left it to Rory Coley. And despite the fact that he knew that there was serious, serious concerns, serious losses being carried, he wasn't prepared uh, to put it on the record in front of the members of the Rockers. And ultimately, we represent the people who were on that committee. And we were entitled to get the answers. And when we ask questions, we should get the truth and get the facts. But this is it's like a drip feed of information. And it took until until yesterday to get that figure of 450,000 as being the figure um, in that exit, exit package that freed O'Keefe. Yeah, like we shouldn't have to haul in regularly um, the, the, the staff to get this information. This All this information should be given to the committee and given us an opportunity to probe and put together a report of recommendations. Yes, it would appear that they are somewhat hamstrung and that they're continually seeking legal advice as to what they can and cannot say. Uh, there are some other loose ends that listeners have asked about uh, Senator Carrigy. For instance, why is the licence fee payer, the taxpayer, and in this case RTE, on the hook for a tax settlement arising from Miss O'Keefe's departure? This is whatever legally the way it was done. This seems to be the case, but um, I personally believe, and I would you know be very public in saying it, this payment should never have been made to Miss O'Keefe. It didn't fit in with the terms and conditions of the voluntary exit package. There was no savings made to the organisation. Therefore, it should never happen. And in my view, Mr. O'Keefe, that money should be repaid back to RTE the 450,000 because the exit package should never have been put in place. There are other questions people have asked and obviously criminality is not necessarily implied. It will be a matter for the Gorthy to investigate as to whether public funds were misappropriated through whatever schemes. Um, but the Office of the Director of Corporate Enforcement and, and on good governance and on uh, whether matters are approved by the board in the way that they should be. Should that office not be taking a stronger look at this? I believe it should, and I think, I think it will, when all the various, and there's a multitude of reports from various um, organisations, Grant Thornton departments, that are all being you know, looked at, and I firmly believe when all the, in, when all the information is in place, and this is the thing, we don't have all the information, we don't have all the facts, because not all the people that have that information 
have been forthcoming and come before committees. But when all the reports are done, I think that's what we need to do. And that often the good governance needs to go in and interview those people that haven't come before their office media committees. Because until they, you know, give the information and the knowledge that they have, we'll never get the true full facts of the situation. And until we do that, um, I think, as I said earlier on in the, in the interview, we're not going to get the confidence of the general public and the licensee payer back in 30 years as an organisation. Micheál Carragy, Fine Gael Senator based in Longford, member of the Oireachtas Media Committee. Thank you for your time. Good morning. Thank you. Lots of messages and thank you for them. We'll call them out in a few minutes' time and indeed on the big question of roads where, unfortunately, the winter has wreaked havoc in terms of bottles and there seems to be no sign of the... Council lorry coming around to fill them in um, from the national to the local and indeed to the intergalactic a little bit later. Um, we are going back to the moon, it seems, and doing so not with NASA or the European Space Agency, but private enterprise in the last 24 hours has launched a mission to the moon for reasons we shall explain after 11. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Find out what you missed earlier at midlands103.com Let me go to your comments. And here's a fascinating one from somebody who was involved in a community employment scheme in Dangan once upon a time. And anyway, when it concluded, they received a rather stinging letter because they had overspent by 43 cents. 43 cents. And yet we're talking about hundreds of thousands of euro in a settlement package, an exit package for the former chief financial officer of RTE, for which the business case didn't stack up and the savings didn't materialise. And it wasn't approved in line with the procedures. It didn't reach the board. It was the director general and that was it, it seems, when it came to approval. It's a hell of a contrast, isn't it? And not one, but many listeners have pointed out there is a story on the news today about a lady who claimed her late father's pension OK, wrongly, and did so for years, but the amount involved is comparable, and she is before the courts, and it's, it's a bizarre... Um, difference, isn't it? How we treat certain white-collar and blue-collar I don't want to use the word crimes because that will land me, obviously, in a legal matter. Um, There isn't evidence of criminal wrongdoing in RTE, but there is a failure to follow procedure and there are reasons why companies and organisations have to follow company law, have to have good governance in place. And if they don't, it can end up before the courts. And in that respect, it is very similar. More on that a little later, anyway. Let's change the subject. And there was, unfortunately, uh, a lot of reaction to Sarah's interview yesterday, a lady from County Leash who finds herself looking around and asking where are her children going to go to school because they have autism. And when I say, unfortunately, a lot of reaction, it's not an isolated case. There are so many parents like her who are 
finding it difficult to figure out where they're going to send their children to school. So in 10 minutes time, there is a group that is trying to help and make life easier, not just for parents, but for their children. They, despite strength in numbers, are also having frustrations. Let's talk about inflation and a little bit of good news. Inflation, it's still here, but it's not nearly at the rate it was in 2022 and in 2023. And you might wonder, well, how does the Central Statistics Office capture how prices are going up or, in rare circumstances, go down? And there are 51,000 different items in the basket of goods collected by the CSO. Colette Keane is the person who has to go shopping. Morning, Colette. <laughs> Morning, Will. So how often is this basket updated to reflect the times? Um, the consumer price basket um, of goods and services is collected by the Central Statistics Office um, and we update that basket of goods, which kind of reflects what people are buying every five years uh, in general, but it was delayed this time around because of COVID, so it's a bit longer than, than the normal five-year period. And the new changes to the basket will be announced at 11 o'clock today. So in the past, what sort of items have been added in? Yes, um, I think it's really interesting looking at the basket because it's really a unique snapshot, I suppose, of social history as told through our changing shopping habits and what we buy. So the basket reflects changing consumer taste so that you, you get a good reflection of, of what items uh, are going up or down. So you have to kind of keep, keep pace with changing consumer tastes. And we've looked back over the last 50 years. Um, we've been um, collecting statistics for over 75 years, but we just had a, had a look back over the last 50. And in the 70s, um, a vodka and white was added to the basket for the first time. And the reason it was a vodka and white is because this was a drink generally associated with women and it was collected as a lounge bar sale mm. because women at that time were generally not served pints and generally not served in the main bar. So I think that's even interesting in itself. Um, and other things that were added that year for the first time were disposable baby nappies. Um, and what's interesting as well is that um, some of the items that have been removed, uh, so Bovril was removed in 1975, as was writing ink, um, which only left the basket in the 1970s. Wow, Bovril. They say yeah, it's good Bovril. for your health. I think it's really just a flavouring, isn't it? And it's something. That... I remember having it uh, coming home from school, um, uh, but I'd say my children wouldn't know what it was. <laughs> Lucky them. Um, it, it wasn't great. <laughs> No, it wasn't. Yeah. 1982, something that thankfully still remains in the Consumer Price Index, deodorant. Deodorant was added for the first time, can you imagine, in the 1980s to the Consumer Price Basket. So um, presumably it was just soap and water um, <laughs> before that. Uh, and thankfully it's remained in the basket since then. Um, and what's interesting, I think in the 1980s as well, is that you can really see the kind of move to... Um, you know, more machines to do things for us. So tumble dryers, deep fat fryers, microwaves, um, were all added hair dryers, powered lawnmowers, power drills, those kind of things. So you can see that kind of move to the kind of more machines. Um, Walkmans and CD players are added. Um, and what's interesting in terms of what was removed as well is that record players were removed in the 1980s 
and we've wow. seen the resurge in those recently. So it, it's taken a while for them to come back into fashion again. Um, and interestingly, corsets were removed in 1982. I would have I thought that was way earlier, but uh, 1982 is when they were removed from the basket. Just when you mentioned music, I see the Walkman was added in 1989 and presumably taken out at some point since. And music has changed in how we consume it. Three players appeared during the noughties and then not so long ago, streaming services were added in. Yes, yes, yeah. So Walkman's actually were removed in 2006. Um, so they were there for quite a while. Um, and the streaming, what's interesting as well is the um, the video players and the um, they were all removed in 2006 as well. Um, and uh, the streaming services themselves then were added in the, uh, I think it was 2016, uh, they were added. I just can't see it there in front of me. Sorry, um, uh, but it just shows you the, um, the the way that we consume. You know, surround mm-hmm. sounds were added in the two thousands. Uh, music downloads was added in twenty ten. So it's it, it it kind of recognizes the changing patterns of how we consume music, or or and also uh, you know things that we're actually eating and, and drinking as well. I see e-cigarettes were added in 2016. Are traditional cigarettes in the basket somewhere? Yes, um, cigarettes and uh, the price of a cigarette and price of a pint have been in there since the 70s. Um, so we have we can trace the whole the, the evolution of price changes uh, going back to that that time as well. You know, which is a very useful thing for for people to be able to compare prices over time. I wonder of all the items in the basket, which one has gone up the most? Yes, I, 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 I don't know. We were just looking at what kind of items were in and out as opposed to what, what their prices were at the time and what they are now, you know. Yeah, I dare not ask about the price of a pint in uh, the 1960s or the 1970s <laughs> compared to now. but uh, And then how much tax has been added over the years as well. Uh, listeners are asking about fuel, so petrol, diesel and so on. Are they in there? They're in there as well, but they they don't come out of the basket, so they're not included in this list because they're kind of staples. They're seen as staples, so they they wouldn't be in and out um, uh, changes in those. But one of the changes that I did notice that kind of we kind of signed the Celtic Tiger, I think, was uh, in two thousand and six. Champagne was added uh, for the first time to the basket, and fine quality wines. Um, and it was quickly moved out of the basket in 2011 as uh, the economic downturn hit. Of course. But it came back again in 2016. So you can kind of see patterns through what we're buying there, you know. Yeah, a person is asking why avocados are on the list. Is there a separate basket for Fox Rock? (laughs) Well, there's a lot of changing fads. So in the 80s, you know, you had the Jane Fonda workouts and the leggings and grapefruit was added in the 80s. Kiwis were added in the 1990s and then um, we had the avocados added in 2016. So they're only a recent addition and it again it reflects people's shopping taste. You know, the avocado on toast kind of uh, uh, took off uh, around that time so yeah. that's why they're, they're in the basket. Never had it, Colette. Never was tempted. But... No. <laughs> we'll see what appears new on the list from 11 o'clock onwards. Colette Keane, thank yes. you for your time. No, thank you. Colette Keane from the Central Statistics Office. Now, still on the agenda today, headaches and heartaches with Rory Hafford in an hour's time. And on that list of headaches and heartaches, the man who's been married for nearly 20 years and it's his wife who is busy running around 
after the children. So much so, he says, she doesn't make time for him. Has Rory any advice? Should we feel sorry for her? Imagine the shoe was on the other foot. We often hear about the man who's never home because he's always working. And then whoever else uh, has an objection. I suppose you, you, you've got people who are ignored uh, because of social life. You've people who are ignored because of work. You've people who are ignored because of childcare commitments. And some of these things come and go. So should we be tolerant of it and just give the poor woman a bye-ball? Or are you on his side? Anyway, we'll thrash all of that out in an hour's time. The Midlands Most Listened To Radio Show. Midlands Today with Will Faulkner. Midlands 103. Midlands103.com sharing a news story this morning of a secondary school in Port Leash being given planning approval for an extension. And if you are in a mainstream school and... Places are tight. That is obviously frustrating, but at least there are many, many school projects being given the green light, or indeed in the case of the Mercy Secondary School in Convegan, they're nearing completion. It's a very different picture, however, if you're talking about autism units, where it just seems to be a case of supply not nearly being enough to meet demand. And let's turn our attention once again to County Leash. There seems to be uh, a huge uprising of parents in the last couple of weeks calling, uh, not just us, calling their TDs. In one lady's case from Matt Malik yesterday, she had written to the Minister of Education. That's about as high as you can go on the matter of education after reaching out to 19 schools and getting 19 refusals for her two children, her twins. So I want you to first meet Eileen Dollard. Eileen is a member of the Incredibilities, and she's from Errol. Eileen, what are the Incredibilities? Good morning. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Tell us more about this group that you and some other parents have put together. Yeah, um, we're a group set up um, locally in Rathdowney um, with about 40 members. Um, it was set up there last month in January, and... Um, we're just a group of parents with all children with um, additional needs and disabilities and and um, there's, you know, we have 40 members, there's children coming from all over the county because mm. there's not an oversight for, for them. I know you have Alan with you as well there, Alan Burke from Rathdowney. Morning, Alan. So, you have a young chap, Harry. Uh, tell us a little bit about your efforts to get Harry into a school? Well, it's, it's basically the same story for us all. We're, we're in contact with people the whole time, trying to get our kids an ASD class. We're just constantly getting mixed messages from our special needs education organisers. And every parent in our action group, we've been told, we've been told different stories the whole time and just nobody knows what to believe. It's banging your head off the wall every day, basically. So you try to get Harry into, is it seven or eight schools? Yes, we have, yes, all refused. Where's the nearest one to you, Alan? Um, there's actually an ASD class in Rathdowney, um, three or four minutes walk away from me, and I can't even get him in there. And Eileen, I gather you've tried 12 um, schools for Tommy. 
Tommy's in five, so he's in mainstream school in Earl. Um, it's a fantastic school, and uh, the principal, the, all the staff there are absolutely fantastic, and they're so supportive. And the whole community around Earl and Rathdowney have been amazing, and they're so welcoming mm. to Tommy. Like, um, there's an SNA there full time with him. There's three SNAs in the school. Um, the school has given me a letter of support to give to the Sino. Um, to say that they are supportive if they were to be sanctioned a class in the morning that they would be fully behind it um, so we were told then that the issue with Earl is there is no space and so the hall I'm not sure you're probably not familiar with Earl but there's a hall um, right beside Earl School and it's been currently renovated um, it should be near completion now in the next couple of weeks or months um, so we spoke to committee members there, and they have given us um, our given us our, their support mm. of use of the facility, you know, of the of the hall, if um, a class was to be sanctioned in there. So that would give so, you a venue, a location. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then to then, get the staffing and to get the resources. Yeah. What do you um, need so to do? When when I advised the Sino yesterday morning of this, um, I was told to uh, give this information to the principal the principal about the hall, which of course I would have done. I'm in close contact with the principal, and he's very helpful and obliging. Um, so she told me to contact him and let him know let him know to contact the Department of Education and the Planning Department there that that will all have to be worked on there so obviously that's outside of my mm. control or knowledge and so anything that we kind of uh, put to them it's bounced back to us but it all comes down to really is um the department of education and the special education um departments they're they're not supportive of us like we have nowhere to turn only for this group in Rathdowney and from us speaking to each other on for an hour there once a week on a Saturday evening. We don't know what's going on. And as Alan says, we're getting conflicting answers from people that, you know, we are supposed to be getting, um, you know, that are supposed to be supportive of things like, you know, when we, we tell them about the hall, we tell them the school, the school is supportive of it. Like, what more do they need as a community, Earl and Rathaui? I've lived here all my life, and as has my husband, as of, so has Alan. Like, these people, you know, we've been born and, and bred here, like, um, we want our children in our community. Like, I've been crying down the phone to, to people, like, what do we need to do? I've said that how many times? What do we need to do? There's nobody, nobody listening to me. We've talked to counsellors. John King has been fantastic. He's been so supportive, like... Tommy was in Ballockmore for two years and we were told that we were going to get a third year there and the senior told us before Christmas 22 that he's not going to get a third year there. So we had to go apply. After hearing from my friends that have been in the same situation from years ago, um, they said that it takes a year, two years maybe, to get on a list for a school. Mm. We applied to 12 schools last year. I went through reams of paper, printing out and forms and applications and every kind of report like OT. I can't imagine the stress and, and holding so your breath for an like answer. Like there's so much. And then for like with all the rejection letters, like twelve schools like 
and they're all 20 minutes away. Like Tommy is only five. He's, he's not, he only has a hand, he's two or three words. He has his sister's name. That's what he has. And that's what he's going around our saying every day. Annie, Annie, Annie. Like, what good would that be to down in Shanahoe or Port Leash? Tommy going around the school saying that. But all he, Annie's little friends, they run over to him. They include him. They play with him. Like, that's what we want. These are our children. This is the future. The future of this country is these children that are coming along. Why are they... Why are they being discriminated? Why are they being shoved off on buses every day, left, right, and centre? Why can't they, why can't those people open the door? The Department of Education, the ministers. I've emailed those ministers too. I've emailed the tea shop. Like there's, you check my sent items. People must be like, who does this one think she has emailed these people? But there is nobody listening to us. Well, ultimately, from the Taoiseach down, they're all public representatives, so you're quite entitled to contact them. Yeah, Uh, so the likes of John King, he's been so good, as I said, he helped, and Father Martin in Rathdowney has also been fantastic. He's helped set up that class in Rathdowney. So we were told to go to our last year with Tommy, and we did, and we were, Tommy's in there, and he's happy in school, but he doesn't have the educational needs that that is needed of him. I have reports here saying that he's supposed to be in um, an ASD class. Like this, this SNA takes him out of class, do you know, when it's too much. And the teacher in there, like, how is she supposed to deal with a child? Do you know what I mean? Like, it's all, it's all too much. And Look, it's, it's a case, and I, I get the sense they're probably doing their best in the mainstream school, but ultimately... Oh, they are. They're they, absolutely they, fantastic. Yeah. And I cannot fault that school and the whole community. Every day people are saying, oh, do you know, how are you getting on? We've a we've a petition and everything, and you can see the support there. There's nearly a thousand signatures. Alan, what's um, going to be your next move for Harry? Well, we keep end up going down the same routes. Well, we're <clears throat> we're not looking for the sun, moon, and stars here. We're just looking we're looking for basic right for our children, and that's just that's a tender local school. We can't do as I say, we can't do much more than what we're doing. We're contacting the people around our area, the Sino for our area, and we're just, we've been sent around in circles. It's, you've been built up to be beaten back down the whole time, so we've we've kind of run out of places to turn. Yeah, a few listeners are wondering what is the point of a census that captures so much information and is intended for future planning, uh, or even at its most basic level, one person says, why can't the department add four or five years to the date of birth of a child and say, okay, we're going to need resources in these areas exactly, yeah, by the like, year, whatever it is, and to respond in time right. rather than try to catch up when it's too late. The lack of resources, even. Me, me and my partner were told to contact or to apply into a school called Durrow, and we were given the, the contact details. And when we phoned, that school is in Tullamore. That's 55 kilometres away from where I live. I would like to challenge the person that gave them details. Would they send their autistic child on a bus every day to travel 55 kilometres? For me to travel to Tullamore, that's a one-hour drive. That's not on a bus, stopping to pick up other kids. So you could be talking one hour, 20 minutes there, one hour, 20 minutes home. I'm, it's not possible yeah, to do that with. How can they expect us to do that? I would hope it was a case of confusing the two Duros, but I suspect no. otherwise, no, unfortunately. Was, I, 
I thought that at first, but it's it's not the case, no. We understand that this is going to be raised in the Doyle later. And indeed, we were talking to one of the parents in Mount Melick yesterday and her particular plight is going to be discussed in the Doyle. And we will come back and report on what is said tomorrow. But for the moment, um, anybody who may wish to join your cause, tell us how you can join the Incredibilities. Oh, we have it. Um, the group is set up on Facebook and you're welcome. All are welcome um, in that, that group. And it's fantastic. And, you know, it's a credit to the community, I must say. Um, I'd just like to say as well, like, that Earl has received um, applications for if a class was to be sanctioned in our they've received um, numbers in double digits like there could be 10 or 12 children after applying there in the hope of a class being sanctioned there and I'd just like to say as well that I did speak to Sino and I told her about the, the hall that we had to support the hall now I'm not silly or anything I know that there's a lot of paperwork and red tape and insurance and everything but surely in this day and age when we have when we have children in double digits in an area looking for a place in a school when there is a, a, a space available now cause they've said that so many times to me like why can I not be looked at like when I told the lady about the hall that about the support the casino I told her and she said I'd just like to make you aware like in the same breath, she said, I'd like to make you aware that there's a new class after opening in um, in Clonina in Mount Rat and also another one in Mount in Ballyroan. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, if they if you would like to apply there, um, you can contact the school and give them your details. In the same phone call, she said that to me. We are just like this. This is why I'm saying nobody is listening to us. These are the people we're supposed to call. To let them know our situation. I'm talking to these seniors since February last year about little Tommy Lack. These children are unable, they don't have a voice. We are their voice. And nobody is listening to us. I get the sense that you feel it's lip service that you're getting rather than somebody actually hearing what you're saying. Fobbed off, well, there's no no other, there's no delicate way of putting it. We've been fobbed off left, right, and centre, and it's going on 12 months for me now. And I know, and I've spoken speaking to a lot of parents, and they're in a hell of a lot worse situations than I am. We're so, one of the lucky ones. Sorry, Alan, you wanted the final word there? And just with Eileen speaking about them two new units that are going to be sanctioned in um, Mount Rat and Ballyrowan, um, the CNO contacted my partner about them schools yesterday, and um, she contacted the two schools and were already told that they will be full up with kids from that locality so that's two new two new units opening which are already full so where do we go from there like there's two or three thousand people between Ireland and Rathowney at least god only knows how many like in today's figures and we're constantly been told it's a funding problem from the government how is it a funding problem from the government that needs to be addressed quickly if it is because parents with Kids with autism are really running out of time and really running out of patience now at this stage. Yeah, there's there's about 3,000 people between Rathdowney and Ireland. We're the one community and we only have six seats at a table in the school for children with autism. Six seats, 3,000 people. 
roughly. I don't know the exact numbers. But how is that right or natural in 2024? Guys, you've made the case. You've made it well. Let's see what comes of it. And thank you very much for the call this morning. Thank you, well. Thanks. That's Alan Burke and Eileen Dollard both members of the Incredibilities. I love that name, the Incredibilities in Errol in County Leash. Love the Midlands? Love. A listener says, you talk about autism on a regular basis. It's amazing how many basic services are not available in a country that apparently is doing very well financially. For instance... Talk about the trouble getting signed up for a doctor. I haven't been able to do this and it's going on since December and I find I'm calling seven to nine doctors a week saying no. And again, whether it's education, whether it's going to be an interesting year. Will, Vinnie Grennan was absolutely right earlier about filling. It's like using tar that's for filling in. They only last for a while, says John. Also, the Crohn to Tyrrell's Pass Road better after the county boundary. That says everything, I presume, when you pass into the West Meath county boundary. And one more text just for now. Um, Will, the uh, problem with the price of a pint is that in 1971, Guinness was 28 pence and it was 14 pence for the half pint. But it's not that Guinness has put up the price by that much. It's the amount of tax we pay that has really escalated since the 1970s. And that applies not just to alcohol. It applies to petrol, diesel, to so many things. And yet, they say at least, Ireland is not a high-tax economy compared to some of the Nordic countries. Anyway, more on that. A different time. Let's get out of not just this country but out of orbit completely. Heading to the moon for the first time since God knows when, 1970s? Uh, A US private moon lander launched 24 hours after its flight was delayed due to fuel issues, but finally it's on its way. And it took off at 6.05am Irish time from company called Intuitive Machines, which is based in Texas. The rocket, though, took off from Cape Canaveral in Florida. Shawnee Morris is a Midlands Astronomy Club member. Morning, Shawnee. So, this is going to the moon not because of the historical reasons of exploration and so on. Is this the beginning of our space economy? In a way, it is. This program that NASA is taking advantage of kind of comes under an umbrella called the Commercial Lunar Payload Service. And this is because NASA doesn't necessarily have a, a fleet vehicle anymore for doing major launches. So it piggybacks on somebody else's craft. And with Intuitive Machines, they've developed a lander. Its name is Odysseus. And its aim is to soft land on the moon about 300 kilometers or so from the lunar south pole. It's aiming for a crater called Malapert A. And NASA has got six instruments on board as sharing the payload. It's paid about $180 million to do this. 
Uh, and 18, supplementary 18 million has been used in development and wage costs in order to get this uh, working. But Intuitive Machines, as a private company, is sending this craft to the moon. They have other customers as well. It's just not NASA. Mm. But NASA is using it in order to be able to send a few little probes that will kind of do a little more groundwork, so to speak, ahead of the Artemis 3 and 4 missions, which will bring astronauts back to land and walk on the lunar surface. Yes, NASA may be doing this for scientific curiosity, but I think the hint is in the title. You used the word commercial earlier. So (laughs) who else is likely to avail of this service? Uh, Anyone that has the money, to be honest, but the one that stuck out for me is a company called Columbia Sportswear, who are developing a new textile fabric for insulative properties with some of their garments. And this probe is actually carrying samples of that up into space. Um, there's, oh, I'm actually drawing a blank on another one that stood out for me right now that I'm on the spot. Yeah, but, no, but uh, you're, you're making the example and yes, it yes. brings up the question, who has rights on the moon? No one necessarily has rights. The moon is somewhat protected under international law. It doesn't stop people making their own private missions to go and explore. Uh, what may happen in the future or probably will happen in the future is the quest for mining for resources on the moon's surface. But I think, you know, we need to be taking this baby steps at a time. The quest that's going to be set up with this mission is to do a little more fact-finding so that humans can once again walk on the surface of the moon. And what that's going to lead is to perhaps having a habitable area on the moon whereby near the South Pole, we know that there is water ice locked into some of those craters that are in kind of a permafrost, permanent darkness. And missions like this will help us to lay the foundation for where will we go next in order to harvest that water. That water will become a fuel for future missions that may even set off from the moon to Mars. And plus there's the future gateway mission, which is to set up a space station in orbit around the moon, send landers onto the surface, mine what it needs, bring it back, and bring some of those precious materials back to Earth. But this is far into the decades, into the future. At the moment, with the moon being protected under international law, nothing to stop any of us getting some money together and building a craft and sending it to it for research purposes. But it does kind of open up what's going to happen next should someone want to, you know, do a little bit of philanthropy Mm. on the lunar surface. But Intuitive Machines is not the only game in town. There's another company that has tried recently... Astrobotic, which is also based in the US. Go back to 2019, there was an Israeli firm that tried, but ultimately its craft crashed on descent. That's right. So there's a bit of a space race, but it's not between nations this time. It's between companies. That's true. Uh, Japan is also added to that list. They tried to soft land on the moon and their craft also failed uh, towards touchdown. Uh, these companies that, you know, it's technology is becoming more accessible. It's becoming more affordable. And people who have their own financial backing now have the ability to develop crafts and launch vehicles that can set. Well, in this case for uh, Odysseus, they use SpaceX's Falcon 9 rocket this morning to take off. Uh, so the, the ability is there now for the privatization of space exploration. And with that comes those kind of question marks as to what are we going to do to help either protect the moon or share it 
peacefully and respectfully. Uh, the commercialization, <laughs> you, you know, you I know. You are a believer in utopia, aren't you? I mean, you can see what's going to happen. <laughs> what, yes. Only a matter of time, somebody will discover resource on the moon that will be valuable. And then you will find very, very quickly uh, there's going to be a turf war. So at that point, you'll have different international interests competing, hopefully not violently with each other. But you couldn't discount yeah. that possibility either. You can't. And it's something that's going to happen with asteroids as well. I mean, there are missions that are in the pipeline for going to an asteroid and doing small mining or excavational work in order to see what's in those asteroids. How do you claim an asteroid? Uh, you know, will be the, the concept there. But there's nothing to stop a nation, in a way, there's nothing to stop a nation setting out its own craft, landing on an asteroid and laying claim to that. But in the, yeah, the utopian way of thinking that it's all for the benefit of humankind is what's going to be very debatable in the, in the near future. I would say even within our lifetimes, Will, that we'll see this kind of thing progress into not necessarily just space exploration, but, you know, space mining and harvesting. Because, listen, Earth is on somewhat of a limited array of some precious metals. And with the demand for technology, we have to find new sources of those, whether it be mined here and destroying local habitats or just go to a desolate moon or a desolate asteroid that has virtually no physical bearing on Earth and doing the dirty work there. That's going to be for another generation to decide. Johnny Morris of the Midlands Astronomy Club, thank you very much for taking our call today. On a totally different subject, community games offers great joy to so many people every year and there are 150 events on offer at local, county and national level. And if you live in a major town, there are plenty of bodies to choose from, lots of people willing to chip in. But if you're in a smaller community, sometimes it just falls to the usual suspects. And in the case of Tyrrell's Pass in County Westmeath, the call went out a few days ago. It's this simple. Community games in the area is on the brink of being withdrawn due to a lack of local support. That was the message. So was the call answered. Maurice Fitzgerald is chairman of Tyrrell's Pass Kilbegan Community Games. Maurice, good morning. Good morning, Will. How are you? Very well, thank you. You had a meeting in Browns on the Green. Was it well attended? Um, there was a few attendees at the meeting, all right. Um, like a lot of events from, I suppose, since COVID hit, uh, it, attendance was down. But uh, we, we got through it. We got a new committee in place. And I'd like to say that we're up and running again. Charles Pass, Quebec and Community Games is um, active again this year. So without these voluntary uh, efforts by people, you would lose community games to the area. And what would that mean? That would mean um, basically for kids aged between 6 and 16, the, um, the lack of opportunity to take part at local county and national level in one or more of possibly 150 plus events ranging from athletics to basketball to soccer to sports of any nature to um, art to handwriting to singing, chess, you name it. You, any, any child in the Midlands that's doing any kind of activity, community games basically nearly covers it. Now, I know I'm guilty of this 
when it comes to soccer because my young fella he goes to Derry Rovers and they're all the mm-hmm. time trying to get parents involved parents sometimes we can be very willing to send children to whatever voluntary exercise is taking place what level of involvement is needed to keep the show on the road? In some cases, very little. In other cases, uh, where there will be regular training events and, and, and schedule in place, um, support from parents and adults, even those without kids or with kids who aren't eligible for community games just yet, um, involvement is and, and support is needed. So in certain activities, say chess, for example, um, a lot of that is actually done in schools. So there's no external community games training event in for chess. It's done in the local national school. And we were able last year, following a call from or an inquiry from one parent that their child plays chess, is chess available for community games? We looked into it and we put a call into the school in Terrence Pass. And following on from that, we put six teams forward. Excellent. Well, that's food for thought for parents, not just in your area, but across the Midlands, that there are many ways to exactly. get involved. You don't necessarily have to be a sporty spice. Exactly, exactly. And then look on, on the flip side of that and the other side of different activities, say athletics is what, what we're into. Personally, um, we, we, we hold weekly training sessions. Um, we do need the help of parents to basically manage and, and look after and train and help out with, with a number of kids. All right. Well, anybody wishing to sign up, in your case, for the Kilbegan Tyrrells Pass Community Games, what's the best way to do so, Morris? Uh, you can find us on Facebook. It's under Tyrrells Pass Community Games, or um, you know, just basically uh, look into talk to any of the parents outside of any of the national schools, or indeed the secondary school in the area, and it, it'll get back to us. Find the, the committee. There's a committee involved. There's a committee up and running now, and then parents are basically dropping kids to school every morning, so they're never too far away. All right, Morris, well said. You should really work in radio. Thank you very much for taking our call. Thanks, Will. Good morning. Now, still on the agenda today, headaches and heartaches. Rory Hafford is here to talk about the man who has been married 20 years, but his wife is so busy running around after the children, she doesn't make time for him. Is is it a case of the world's smallest violin playing there in the background, or does he have a point? And... If you're concerned your teenager is watching porn on their phone, could it be an addiction? Hear Midlands today, tomorrow. Missed anything this morning? Catch the repeat at midnight tonight. Or listen back anytime on midlands103.com. Midlands 103. to protect brought to you by Midlands 103 the IBI and funded by Commission the Man with a television license fee check out hours to protect.ie for more information on this week's hours to protect we look at district heating the system produces heat in a large plant which is then sent to buildings through a network of underground pipelines Yvonne Murphy CEO of the Irish District Energy Association says while the model is not common in Ireland it is used in European cities like Copenhagen and Stockholm It's often coined as central heating for for towns and cities. So what's meant by that is if you think of your central heating system in your house, uh, you know, a boiler or some such will heat water and send it around through pipes around your house. Imagine that on a very large scale. Um, So large insulated pipes under the ground, uh, which are fed with, with hot water that's heated to an agreed temperature 
um, at a central energy center and pumped to buildings within the network. So very similar to the way the gas network would deliver gas to, to, to different buildings, whether it be homes or uh, commercial buildings. Uh, instead of having gas, it's hot water that you're pumping. Um, so it's it's one of those things that's really, really flexible because anything can be used to heat the water. Uh, anything that can heat water, it can work for district energy, basically. So you're not tied to one particular commodity or another. You can actually use a, a range of different um, heat mechanisms simultaneously on, on a district energy system. So when we think about the last few years where there's been a real crunch around gas and uh, oil and, and commodities like that uh, because of different kind of instability with Ukraine and 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 then different you know geopolitical pressures, uh, we are very tied to those commodities where say we're reliant on them. But with district energy, um, you can use decarbonized sources of, of heat to heat the water that then will be pumped towards the building. So, for example, it could be that it's, um, it's renewable electricity, for example, using electric boilers or large heat pumps. Um, you could use, you know, biofuels. Uh, the range of different renewable sources are, are it can be plugged into these systems uh, and used. And what's really fantastic about it is that it can also offer um, a storage solution. So, you know, when it comes to um, our decarbonisation, uh, one of the things that we have a difficulty with in Ireland is that we've really strong availability of renewables, right? So whether it be solar or wind in particular, um, but we've so much available when the wind is blowing, when the sun is shining, that we can't capture it all. And so storage becomes our issue because we can't use all the energy that's available. But with district energy systems, what you can do is you can use very, very large tanks. So, you know, a lot bigger than your domestic hot water tank, but the same principle to heat the water and use it later. Or you can actually uh, use pits that are dug into the ground and specifically engineered. They're highly insulated and, you know, they might be the size of several football fields and that will be filled with just water that's heated. So, for example, you can heat an entire one of those pits with a solar array during the summer and feed that into the system during the winter. So in terms of decarbonisation, what it does is it allows us to use different sources of decarbonised heat to heat the water. And it also allows us to store energy that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be able to be used. Uh, so it's a really great linking technology when it comes to decarbonising our heat. She believes there are a number of benefits to district heating. Uh, like I think I think that piece around storage is very much around uh, being efficient, right? And the more efficient you are with the energy system, the better the benefit in terms of the consumer's pocket. Uh, so, you know, if you've got an efficient system that's using heat that otherwise would be dissipated into the atmosphere, like, for example, um, there is a district energy system in Tala, uh, that has just come online in the last year. And the Amazon Web Services uh, data center that's local to there is providing heat free uh, from the data center because obviously data centers have to be cooled. And when you're cooling something, you're pulling the heat out of it. And so that heat is being recovered and sent in to heat the water to go into people's homes and to different buildings in, in that locale. So when you're using something that otherwise isn't being used, or for example, if you're capturing renewable energy that's abundant, it's going to, you're going to be capturing when it's at its cheapest. But also what it can do is it can help to flatten the curve when it comes to the demand on, on things like electricity, because if we're able to use heat 
when when it's very, very abundant uh, or, or capture it when it's very abundant and then deploy it when there would be pressure on the system. It means that we never get to those high peaks that cost us all the money. Uh, so it improves efficiency. Uh, and then also that will have a knock on in terms of affordability. Uh, and all of this works together to help in terms of the environmental and sustainability piece. So it's kind of it's it's one of those you know rare moments where um the finance helps the uh the, the environmental which helps the social she says the system will be one that will be used in ireland in the future it's planned to be one of the major um ways for us to decarbonize our heating structure so um if you look at for example the climate action plan uh so there was a new iteration of that uh, the 2024 plan but it, you know from previous ones particularly the 2023 plan, it sets out that basically there's going to be two different forms of heating um, that we're going to become reliant on by 2050. And they are either heat pumps or district energy. For more information on district heating, see protect.ie or there's a fact sheet on midlands103.com. And that report by Midlands 103's Sinead Hubble. And while district heating is obviously a very expensive concept to introduce, huge capital investment required, maybe there are simple, ordinary projects that we can all embrace on ours to protect in a future episode. So always feel free to contact us if there's something in your area that deserves to be highlighted. Studio at midlands103.com This renewable energy feature is brought to you in association with Renewable Energy Ireland. Clean energy, secure energy, Irish energy. Renewable Energy Ireland. Now, still on the agenda today, if your teenager is addicted to their phone and you're not sure what they're looking at, that is a headache and it's a heartache. Rory Hafford is next. Headaches and heartaches on Midlands Today. Brought to you by the beautiful Abbey Blooms Botanical Gardens and Cafe Community Initiative in Multifarnham, County Westmeath. A wonderful space for relaxation designed to promote positive mental health and well-being for all. Find Abbey Blooms Botanical Gardens on Facebook. Rory Hafford is here from the Lusnagrena Family Resource Centre in Longford. He's a psychotherapist and author living in four. He has many books to plug and tell you all about. Many, many books. But he hasn't slipped me the 50 euro yet, so I'm not <laughs> going to share with you just now. <laughs> How's the form, sir? Form couldn't be better. How is your form, more importantly? I'm in better mood than poor Tom in County Leash. Not his real name, we should stress, for the sake of his marriage. Did you see poor Tom? Poor Tom says he has been married for nearly 20 years. But his wife is so busy running around after the children, she doesn't make time for him. Mm -hmm. He tried to organise a date night for Valentine's and she told him, don't be silly, I don't have the time. So initially I was thinking world's smallest violin here. Mm-hmm. The woman's busy. Give her a break. In fact, give her a hand. Mm. But there has to. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. And, and I see how I can see how you would come to that conclusion. There has to be something else. There has to be. Because essentially and effectively, the relationship has gone stale in the brain. It's a good little thing, that, isn't it? Stale in the brain. And there's an, an analogy that's not easy to say at this hour. There is an analogy that I like to use for th- th- this kind of slippage in a relationship. It's when the red high heels turn into a, a pair of comfortable slippers. 
and people tell I'm you, still picturing you in high heels <laughs> <laughs> and people is people, that only in weekends <laughs> It's still love, but it is a more more mature kind of love. It just doesn't have the excitement and, and the thrill and the unexpectedness of when you first met. Okay? So, yeah, she's focused on the kids. Her focus is on the children. And there are many people who will say that's absolutely as it should be. And it is not on him at the moment. So, I knew this question was coming up. And I talked to three women about it. And I just gave them the, the, the problem, the conundrum. And every one of them said something that surprised me. Every one of them. Now, these are, these are normal, decent academics. Uh, and I, I wrote it down. Where is it? Get away from her. What? Yeah. Get away from her. Now, it was, I'd say it was... No, no, stall the ball. Oh, Why? I absolutely stall the ball. But I thought, is, is this tongue-in-cheek? Is this, is this like a, a throwaway comment? And it could well have been. But the odd thing is they all said the same thing. Get away from her. And then they offered other solutions. But the initial thing was move away. Now, I got thinking about this. And... He does. Tom does need. Oh, my God, you're looking at the texture already. Tom, wait, well, wait, you hear the next thing. It's going to light up like a pinball machine. Tom does need to do something different. So I've come up with one thing. You ready for this? Lend a hand with the children. Mm -mm. No, she's got that. She has the children. Have an affair. For those of you just tuning in at home, Will Faulkner's face has hit the desk. Now, stay with me for a second. Just stay with me. <laughs> you look at the mechanics of an affair. It's exciting. It's edgy. It's dangerous. It's life-affirming. It's life-enhancing. You can probably see people falling over tables and chairs to try to get to the phone at the moment. You, I'm you, really hoping... Hold on, wait, wait, wait. Like, hold on, like, wait a like minute. Pina coladas. Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> you can steal away. You can feel like a bold teen again. You can get away from habitual behaviour. You can feel good about yourself again. You can feel affirmed again. Do you know what? That sounds like a bit of a plan to me. Have the affair, Tom. Have the affair. With your wife? <laughs> yes. <laughs> You've ruined the delivery. Oh, my God. That's the only caveat. I was Have praying, <laughs> praying that's where you were going with this. Have the affair, but it must be with your wife. Because it's all of those things that... And, and again, in the clinic over the, the... Or the clinics, over the 30 years that I've done this stuff, I've heard this time and time and time again. And some people do feel that they need somebody else... But they don't. They need something else, another approach, a different way of, of seeing these things. Because for me, true love never dies. It never dies. Just sometimes it hides away and you have to coax it out again. Now, think about it. She may be a new mother. She may be up to her, her, her neck in, in diapers or whatever they call them and, 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 and a baby formula and all the rest. But she is still a woman. She is still the woman. 
that Tom chose to be with and that will never ever go away and people normally say oh women love this and women love that it's not a it's not a male female thing people love it people love to be spoiled people love to be surprised people love to be fussed over so have the affair Tom bring her to O'Gorman's in Kilminchy tonight they still have the Valentine's <laughs> offer Tom that's what you need to do O'Gorman's O'Gorman's anyway what do you think? This one... You can pick your face up off the desk now if you want. <laughs> Sometimes easier said than done when it comes to making the time for the affair with your wife in oh, that. Oh, stop it. No, stop no, it. Stop no. it now. When Look, the kids come into the world... You're looking for solutions. So you if you're if you, playing second fiddle if a on second, both sides. She's playing second fiddle in some respects. He's playing second fiddle, fiddle? for some Do, respects. There's a fiddle? There there's is. a fiddle in the, in the mix. Okay. Oh, look, you're looking for solutions. Better than the flute of Bandcamp. You're looking for solutions. I've given you a viable solution. But we have a tendency, as Irish people in particular, to not only not move off the problem, but to protect the problem. Okay, solutions, people, solutions, and there is a there's a doozy I've just given that man now. You have indeed, but he must think about it. Yes, and just remember the end of the sentence <laughs> with your wife affair with your wife. This one is a bit more serious. Mm. They're all serious. Mm. This mm. one, however, mm. I don't want to make light of. It says my teenage son is addicted to his phone, and he is very careful not to let me see what he's looking at. I fear it could be pornography. Has Rory any advice? So you can only imagine. You can only imagine. The, I see this an awful lot in the clinic and I have done particularly over the past 10 years. Online porn destroys lives. That's it. Pure and simple. It's, it's, it gets into the brain. It, it infiltrates, it takes over. It is an addiction on the same level as any other addiction. And I wanted Hang to talk... on, Father Hafford. Oh, my God. Go on. I'm not suggesting teenagers should be exposed to this, but there are people who are able to watch it, switch it off, and have a normal sex life afterwards. Just and like there are people who can have a drink and not become alcoholics. Yeah. Who and, can. And, and there are those who, who can't. And what you're dealing with is you're dealing with the immature brain that cannot process, not mature enough to process an adult occult theme. Very, very, you grow into this stuff. But we now live in a world of instant gratification. It's there. Everything's there. And also the magic is taken from it because we now have to dissect everything. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So if you dissect something, you actually take away that magic. But that, that's, that's a, an argument for, for a different day. For this, in my personal and, more importantly, professional opinion, I think this is not just too much for the immature mind. It's way too much for the immature mind. Now, I have a couple of suggestions coming up to the end of this, but what I wanted to do was I was listening to a couple of other other psychotherapists over the past two, two months or so uh, dealing with the same question and, and both of them came up, their, their intros were, do you know what? The kids must realise that this is not real. These are just actors. 
That's nonsense. If you have a 14, 15-year-old teenage boy who is swimming in testosterone and, and, and assorted hormones, he doesn't give a fiddler's if they're acting or it's real. Fiddle's back. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants... I think it was a violin. That's a posher fiddle. He just wants to do his thing. Okay? Now, so it's not, it's not an answer. It's not saying, oh, it's, well, it's not real. It's real for the kid. And your mind makes it real. So, yeah, to all intents and purposes, this is very real. This is two people having aberrant sex on a screen in front of him. Yeah. That's going to have an effect. I suppose the, the, yeah, the question is how soft or how hard is the pornography that he's consuming? Okay, okay. Well, here's Because, the, yeah. let me just okay. try and be real on this, 1990s, long time ago, boys like me tried desperately to watch as much Baywatch as possible because that's all there was to maybe get a glimpse of Pamela Anderson's You Know What. <laughs> and <laughs> dare I say the Oxendales catalogue would come in and there would be a brass section. And that was as about, you know, until 1995 and Playboy yeah. hit the shelf, yeah. that was as titillating as you could get. Absolutely. All right? Yeah. Now I accept, you know, click of a, of a, a phone, you can access... Everything from the soft to the vile. Yeah. Um, but boys will be boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you and I were boys and we had all the, the, those little magazines. And we used to have the, uh, what was the, the National Geographic? Remember the tribes that they unearthed in, in the outer Amazon, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so there was a desperate reach so, and a... So, sorry? I'll stop it. And a, and, 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 and a reach and a search for stuff that, that would, would, would stimulate our brain on this subject. Before I came in today, this morning, I typed in one wor- word into a search engine. Porn. Mm. Okay. You wouldn't believe what came back. How many million results? Oh my God, a gazillion. Yeah. But that wasn't the thing, Will. It was, it was the nature of the stuff that came back. The nature of it. You use the word vile. We need a new word. Now, this is stuff that our children are being exposed to. Our babies, our children are being exposed to this. And the one thing, well, two things, actually. One, it's straight off, it's objectifying women to an inordinate degree. And it's also, it's, it's brutalising women, brutalising them. And that was just from this morning's search. Now, how, in what universe could that be a positive thing? In, in what way could that be a positive message to send to somebody who is trying to find how they are going to be in the world? Okay? There and they be a, ha- a slippery slope as well. I remember watching an interview with a wrestler from the 1980s, Jake the Snake Roberts. The snake is not a euphemism. Okay. And because they were on the road a lot, they tended to cheat. Yeah. They would be on the road maybe 28 days of a 31-day month. And he said, OK, first of all, you had an affair with one woman. Then you had an affair with two women. Then you had an affair with two women at the same time. Mm. Then toys brought... And so constantly it became more eventually sordid, depraved, because it was an addiction that you had to go further and further... Absolutely. ...to get your fix mm. for. Mm. Mm. And 
perhaps there is a similar risk here where Complete. you start watching yeah. you know the, yeah. the Oxendale's brass section Absolutely. and you end up watching yeah. horses and stuff yeah yeah it's you're spot on and it is an addiction as deadly and as cumulative as any other addiction so there hasn't Here, been here's the problem yeah and I have to take the break I know no no well we have to come back to this exactly yeah, yeah. it's what to do about yeah. it yeah yeah that's next the Midlands most listened to radio show, Midlands Today. Midlands 103. Rory Hafford is here for headaches and heartaches. And boy, this is a headache. Um, potentially a heartache too, depending on how it ends up. The parent who is concerned that their teenage son is consuming pornography on his phone. And we've thrashed out the yeah. the rights and the wrongs of it. The mm. question now is what to do. Yeah, and and and... They should be concerned about it. Absolutely, they should be. The the there hasn't been that many studies done on pornography from an addict an addiction point of view, but they they have over the past couple of years come up with one or two. Okay, and what they have found is that exposure starts at the age of get this no ten. No. Ten. I have a ten-year-old. Ten. Can't bear to think she yeah. would see this. Yeah, ten. Now, at that age, the age between ten up to your late teens, the brain has no breaks in it. It just wants to consume everything mm. because it's trying to find out what it likes or what, what, it will, what it will repeat. So from the age of ten, they're exposed to this. Now, and again, the studies have shown that the, we've all heard of the, the, the reward centre in the brain and the pleasure centre in the, in the brain itself. Dopamine. Yeah, well, and there's those other little bits and bobs in there as well. But for somebody who is becoming addicted to pornography, the pleasure centre goes absolutely mad at the exposure of it. And the real issue is the one that you yourself pointed out. After a time, you're going to need more and heavier and darker stuff to hit the same effect. It has a profound effect. Other findings from the study as well said that, uh, and they interviewed boys mostly on this, and they by and large said that real sex is not as good as what pornography can give them and that porn was better than sex. And ironically, one of the side effects of long-term exposure to this is erectile dysfunction. And again... Won't go into that because it's we'd have to we'd be here all day yeah. unpacking. And there can be medical reasons, psychological reasons, but yes, I take your point. It's yeah. one of the hazards. Yes, and and again, it could be traced down to a, a measure of control because when you are in front of your screen, you are in full control. Okay, but when you're with another human being, you don't. So that that could be an issue. What do we do? What to do? Well, I'd say first off, parents need to get tech savvy. Real quick, real quick, because the kids are way, way ahead of us. And I, I, was, I was talking on, I was fortunate enough to be interviewed on David Hollywood's show last week about the online danger. So it was, it was a broader conversation. But I used this example of uh, driving from four to Oldcastle early one morning and there were little groups of kids knotted together all on their phone, all of them. Mm. That wasn't the thing that struck me. What struck me was there wasn't one happy face among them all. Now, if you, if you take away the phone and get a group of kids to walk down the street together, 
They'll be laughing, they'll be joking, they'll be pointing, they'll be shouting. At least there will be connectivity. There'll be something there. But the fact that there wasn't even one happy expression really struck me on this. It is as though our kids have been asked to become serious before they are able to manage what serious actually is. If you asked me for my opinion based on what I've been exposed to in the clinics and the research and what I see myself, I would say ban it completely. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. That's my opinion. Now, there are people probably texting in now with different opinions and that's okay. I yeah. Res- yeah, I respect their opinion, but that-, that is my opinion based on what I see every day. There's somebody who says it's all right to do it, but not to watch it. I'm not sure are they suggesting that's hypocritical because people, you know, we're all here because somebody had sex. I don't even know what that means. What's it mean? Anyway, anyway, thanks for texting in. All right. Yeah. Uh, Rory, we're actually completely out of time. I will. I had, ah, for God's sake, man. There's, what about Paula? I know Paula is in a funk. God love her. <laughs> But unfortunately, we can't help until you're next back. Time. Next yeah, time. And, yeah, and a really heartbreaking one that I want to deal with as well the next time. A lady, 40 years married, nothing, no, no present, gift, no, no present. acknowledgement. It was just another day. Yeah. And genuinely, she's heartbroken mm. by it. Rory, will talk again. Thanks, Will. You'll find him at the Lusnagrena Family Resource Centre in Longford. Indeed, he has many, many books as well. And he's rambling the hills around four in County Westmeath. Yelling at people. Yes. Thanks, Sinead, for putting it all together. Back in your radio tomorrow morning from 9. Take care. Bye-bye. Midlands 103. Midlands Today with Bus Erin. Use your TFI Young Adult or Student Leap Card on board Bus Erin services as part of the Transport for Ireland network. Visit buserin.ie today.